Hello and welcome to another Festival Sir Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna and with me to discuss what has been far from a quiet Christmas for Ulster are Adam McKendry. Hello Adam. Merry Christmas everyone. And Michael Sadler. Hello Michael. How's it going? Yes, thanks very much. So the Ebenezer Scrooge that is the Bulls provided the ultimate humbug to Ulster's Merry Christmas Day when they announced on December 25th of all days that Marcel Coetzee was to become their newest recruit in the summer. Even if they had tried to hide his identity, it didn't take huge investigative skills to uncover that Coetzee was the man. So we'll discuss his move as well as the happier news of Ulster's win over Connacht, the confirmed layout of the Pro 14 season at last, and this weekend's visit of Munster. So we have to begin, of course, with that man who could see Adam in the news. We, we knew about it, well, we didn't know, but it had been rumoured for weeks and now it has been confirmed. So some frustration amongst Ulster's support that he didn't maybe... Um, you know, repay Ulster for standing by him during those couple of years of injury worries he had when he first came. But then the other side of it is, as as uh, we had written in the paper yesterday, that it's the human side of it. That, like this is just a, a man who wants to go back to his home and what is very un, uncertain time. So, what's what's your reaction to it all? Yeah, I, I can see both sides of it, and certainly you, you can't begrudge him wanting to go home. COVID has completely ruined anybody's ideals of a perfect world, you know, and in an ideal situation this wouldn't have happened could see it would have been here in, in Belfast playing rugby like he wanted to but <clears throat> obviously going home during the pandemic he's been able to be close to family and that's all anybody really wants at the moment I think so I, I completely understand you know why he wants to go back to South Africa and be closer to his family and you can't begrudge him that I think Johnny put it better than I ever could uh, in the paper yesterday he is a human and you know this is this is just something that he wants and he's well within his rights to ask you know that that's the thing you you can't begrudge him the the opportunity to ask to be released from his contract I think that the bigger issue comes as as to how it's come about you know if if this had come about without Jake White's comments a few months ago about how he was chatting to Marcel, then I don't think there's such a big reaction. And certainly it, it does suggest that, you know, there were some underhand dealings going on behind the scenes. I, I don't fully buy into that, but um, I, I certainly think if, if White had sort of kept quiet and hadn't said anything, then this wouldn't be such a big issue. But mm-hmm. on, on the other hand, I, I can see why people would be disappointed, you know, if a player has signed a contract, you naturally want to, him to see it out. And again, Ulster would be well within their rights to turn around and say, you know, you've signed a contract until 2022 and we want you to honour that. But you've got to take in the human side to this. And we've seen Jake Ball today saying that he's going back to Australia after so many years with the Scarlets because he wants to be closer to his family. So this is just the reality of the situation now. You cannot hold it against him that he wants to be closer to his family. That's that's part and parcel of life. And at the end of the day, you can't say he's phoning it in for Ulster or anything like that. You know, Marcel's been one of their best players for the last few seasons, and he's certainly been their best player this season. So you can't say he's, you know, switched off because he knows he's leaving. This is, He has still turned into his brilliant performances all year. So look... You wish him all the best, but it's just one of those unfortunate situations that Ulster have to deal with. 
Michael, I knew you, uh, you and Jonathan Booth had written your thoughts in, in yesterday's paper that people can still still read online. But uh, what was your sort of reaction to it all? Well, look, I think we all knew <clears throat> that he was going to look to go. I think it's a personal decision, which is fine. I think it's also a business decision. Um, Ulster will do pretty well out of it. They will not only save money in these straightened times, they'll probably get compensation from coming out a year early. Um, he also has done rather well because he's managed to get himself a three-year deal with the Bulls, which, as he's 30 next year, takes him on to 33. I doubt very much he would have got that if he had stayed on here just that long, just because of his fitness profile and the chances of, of him seeing it out until 33. Um, but I, I, I just thought it was rather all very, very strange. I don't think I've ever seen an Ulster press release where they make it clear that the player uh, really just wanted to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't... I don't know why they needed to say that. Um, there's been a lot of strange things said over this. It's not been handled very well. We're almost getting back to the Ulster of old. Um, we've had Johnny Petrie's tweet, which has added, uh, you know, further to the to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, you know, I, I I wouldn't begrudge the guy, you know, going home uh, whatsoever to back to South Africa. He clearly loves it there. If you ever watched his uh, social media, the stuff he put up when he was there. Um, but you know, I think it's a personal and it's a business decision. This is a business after all. He's an employee who has employers. Uh, COVID has changed everything, not only personal outlook, but business outlook. So I think it's a combination of all these factors. And, you know, I don't quite know how anybody could be outraged because if they were looking in any way, shape or form, uh, at, at, at the form here that was, uh, you know, that was unraveling over the last while, it was pretty obvious that he was pretty keen to go back and that he was being approached and talked to about it. And um, he's been offered a deal, <clears throat> which is better than he would have got. Yeah. So, yeah, he's got to go for it. I mean, this is this is his career. Um, and, of course, he's going to be home. So it's win-win for Marcel. It's a partial win for Ulster, too, because they'll save his salary and presumably also uh, get some sort of compensation. Yeah. That, that Johnny Petrie tweet you mentioned, Michael had said that he was deeply frustrated by the whole situation, and he goes on to say it's very disappointing, but we move on. Um, nothing to do with the RFU or finances, entirely player and Bulls uh, driven. So quite, you know, the Bulls announcing it on Christmas night obviously won't, won't help the, the how, it, how it all came about and quite how well they thought they were hiding his identity is uh, his questionable, given that it took about, 10 seconds of looking at it to go, oh, and that's Marcel, yeah. And then you could just go on and find the real photo that they had used because it was blatantly obvious they were playing Argentina. So it wasn't rocket science to find find the photo. But uh, but there we go. That will uh, certainly spice things up, I'm sure, when, when Ulster come to play them uh, in the, the new competition, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little while. So Ian Frizzell asks a few questions just looking forward uh, past Mar- Marcel's departure come the summer. First of all, will Ulster be allowed to get an NIQ replacement? You'd imagine so. Um, whether they'll go for an NIQ in the back row is up for debate. I, I think they will. And it certainly sounds like that's what they're trying to do. I know Dave McCann is seen as sort of the long-term successor mm. at number eight, but is he ready to step in immediately? The fact that he's only played two games this year suggests maybe his time is still to come. But uh Certainly in in the short term, yeah, I think you need to get someone in to replace Marcel and you're not going to replace like for like, you know, that Marcel is probably one of those talents, as Michael wrote, that you might not see in an Ulster jersey for a while in terms of 
import players, you, you've got to go out looking for someone and then hope that McCann starts to develop into the player that you want him to be at number eight. Michael, I also ask, given Sunday's performance, have we enough back row talent available? We'll talk about that performance uh, in depth in a little minute or two, but did the Ulster need to bring in somebody to replace Marcel, or do you look at what they have there and think, well, you know, they might actually be okay? Yeah, they probably do, but I, I'd be surprised if they're able to, because there's just no money around. And yeah. that's just the bold fact here. Uh, COVID has destroyed uh, the financial side of things. Even if uh, they get compensation for Marcel, that's... Yeah, yeah, even if they do get compensation for him, I'm not sure that they're in any position to attract... That's what I meant by that, to attract an overseas player of that calibre again. Um, that it's just not financially feasible. I don't really... I really don't know, but the other thing to point, it's well worth pointing out that if they are going to look at what they've got, they've plenty of time to do it. The rugby season goes on for another six months. <laughs> it, it, you know, that is loads and loads of time. Uh, in fact, we've never seen anything quite like this before. So um, if they were kind of caught in the hop, and we've no idea if they were about what Marcel did, but certainly Johnny Petrie's tweet suggested there might be an element to that. Um, they maybe don't have anything, you know, in, in, in the pipeline in that regard. And more importantly, there may not be the ability to go looking with uh, serious money to see if they can get somebody. Um, so I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, they try to promote from within. After all, David Nusifura wants that to happen. We offloaded Ruin Pinar. Uh, and there was all oh, terrible outrage, as we all know at the time. Mm-hmm. I think we did okay out of it. Um, I think the circumstances we're in now are very, very different from then. But I think we're all going to have to get used to the fact that somebody racking up here with a big reputation um, isn't something we can expect to see, I'm afraid. Does it make it, Adam, more important? Ian's final question. Does it make it more important to keep hold of Sam Carter now? Yeah, uh, I would say so, especially since he's now sort of your marquee import uh, going forward. And again, we, we don't know what sort of the situation is with finances. You know, maybe it might be a case of Ulster can't afford to keep him and they'll have to let him go as well. Or it may be a case of they're able to redirect some of the funds that would have been going to Marcel next season and, you know, funnel them into a new contract for Carter next year. But certainly, I think over the last few weeks, you've seen that Carter actually has a much bigger impact on Ulster than than you think. And in terms of leadership in that pack, especially since you're losing Marcel and the guys within the squad who would sort of be stepping up into his position aren't really of a leadership profile. I think Carter offers a lot as an all-rounded player, both in terms of the mall, both in terms of leadership as well. I think, yeah, he becomes a massive uh, guy to keep hold of in that pack as someone you really want to have in there as even a mentor to the younger guys coming through because uh, as far as imports go, he's really started to show his worth. Mm-hmm. Michael, I suppose the bottom line of this now for Ulster, now that it's all signed, seen and delivered, is that the, the fans and everybody connected with Ulster should really be making the most of these next six months of, of watching Marcel Katsia playing on a white shirt. Yeah, oh, well, absolutely. Um, we believe, naturally enough, he is going to play. As long as he stays fit, he'll, he'll play. Um, and we've got something, you know, almost immediately to focus on, which is uh, a Pro 14 final, which, uh, thanks to the restructures, coming up very hard on uh, the rails now. So, you know, that is something that, you know, if it, it, we should be seeing him very heavily involved in. I think it's changed the way that the season will be approached. We think, I should say, because bear in mind, then they've got to go the 
the Rainbow Cup route when they're finished. So uh, we can't be sure. And I'm sure Dan McFarlane probably doesn't necessarily know what how he's going to get through all that uh, as it is, bearing in mind we've been playing since last August, when you think about it. Um, but yeah, yeah, <clears throat> he's going to, he's not, put it this way, he's not going to want to go without putting on a bit of a show. You just have to hope that what happened to him before he came here doesn't befall him again because he wrecked his knee, I think, in one of his last games for the Sharks. And then when he arrived here, he was in trouble from the off. Mm-hmm. So you just, you would have to hope. I don't think anyone, um, sure, no one would want to see Marcel hobbling off, uh, you know, and going on to the next phase. But yeah, I, I mean, I think if anything, it will make people relish what they have left of him, without a doubt, and enjoy him all the more. Yeah, the thing, is, the thing is, from an Ulster perspective, though, Marcel is not part of your future now. And while you need him to win games, like he is still such a big part of that pack and you need to play him to win some games, you've got to start looking at, you know, beyond this season. Ulster have given themselves a buffer in the Pro 14 now, where although they now need to finish top in order to go to the final, and it's first or nothing, They've they've got a buffer where they can still try and you know do a little bit of chopping and changing. So th- there's got to be a long term focus here as well, where you look at this pack and say, okay, well we know how good Marcel is, and we'll play him in some games to win. But we need to be looking at your guys like McCann after their performances at the weekend, like Timoney and Jones, we need to be getting them game time. If that means putting Marcel to six and putting one of those guys at eight, then I'm all for that. But I think that Ulster have to sort of look at this, not only as we need to let Marcel play out the final year of his deal before he goes and, you know, have his swan song, but we also need to be looking at these guys and making sure we know who's going to be stepping in next season if they don't get someone to replace them. And maybe the that Rainbow Cup will be seen as something to do that. Like presumably, people would still rather see Ulster lifting a Pro Fourteen trophy than a than a Rainbow Cup. Maybe maybe that will be the, the route to go down for that. Mm. But just when you talk about players coming through, Stuart Martin asks. Uh, well, he points out that Ian Madigan mentioned David McCann as one of those who could step up. He certainly did that in his post game interview when Mar when Marcel leaves. So. Uh, Stuart says that David has played in various positions across the back row. Which one do you think is his strongest? And more importantly, where do you think Ireland and Ulster want him to play? Have we had any indication as to where where they see his future? I think he he has played mainly blindside number eight. I, I don't think I've seen him play open side. Maybe he has. I, I don't recall seeing him play there at any point. Um, but uh, that's not to say he, he couldn't. I think primarily they would see him as a number eight. And I think that's sort of where they're hoping that he would come through as. Uh, and eventually he was probably going to be seen as could see his successor. But obviously now that's sort of been rushed forward a bit because of could uh, see his departure. So there's a lot of pressure on McCann, which is none of his doing. You know, ever, he's been hyped up so much as this brilliant prospect and now everything's been kind of brought forward so soon because of Kutsia's departure and I think you've just got to take a step back and remember this guy is 20 he's 21 you know he's still really young really green he's he's still got so much developing to do to become the player that they hope he can be um so for now don't 
don't force him into one position. You know, if he comes through as a blind side, then they'll put him on the blind side. If he comes through as a number eight, he'll uh, play number eight. But at, at the moment, you know, I think Ulster should just be looking at giving him as much game time as they possibly can just to help him with, with that development, help him get as much of a taste of the Pro 14 as possible because the talent's there. He just now needs that nurturing into the senior environment. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, that, the, the back row then... They timed it very well in the 32-19 win over Connacht on uh, what day was it? It's Sunday. Days don't really matter at this time of the year, do they? Who knows what day it was? Who knows what day it is? But so uh, Jones, Murphy and Timoney then, Michael played and played very well. Probably three of the, the pick of, of Ulster's players on the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they have to be. That was the sort of game um, where the forwards had to get down and dirty. And they, they did a tremendous job. Um, and you know, essentially, they did it in the second half as well, because I know Dan McFarland said he was very pleased. Uh, actually, did say he was very pleased with the first half performance when they only trailed. I think fourteen nine. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd launched one single attack in that first half, or even actually, possibly not even got into Connacht's twenty two. And when they got penalties, they were taking shots at goal. So, in actual fact, it was in, in essence what they produced in the second forty minutes. Um, won them the game, and I didn't see there was an awful lot of evidence to that in the first 40 minutes where their scrum was in terrible trouble uh, until uh, Kyle McCall's yellow card, um, and McCall didn't return, mm-hmm. and they put Andy Warwick in there. So, um, yeah, those guys really, really stood up. Jordy Murphy had one of his best games. You know, it really suited him to just get down there. It was a muscular, highly physical situation, uh, his experience, which I think was alluded to afterwards, was absolutely vital in guiding them through. But Jones as well was really, really busy. And Nick Timoney also knew that he had to have a big game because everybody was going to be watching him, saying, oh, he's number eight. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, after what happened to Marcel. What's going on there? Um, he also had a, he had a really, really strong game. Now, I mean, considering the side they put out in past times, you, we would have expected it not to necessarily win in Galway. Mm-hmm. Um they did exceptionally well. And bear in mind, that was their first win in Galway for five years. But also their first away interprovincial win in also five years. Mm-hmm. So it was some time to to produce that. And I know we're getting, we're probably already at the point where they're not going to be overhauled, should we say, for second in the Pro 14. Yeah. But it, it's games like this that really test your character, test your ability, mental and physical, to do what is needed they will take an enormous amount from what they achieved in Galway and for their sake, hopefully then will produce in what remains of the Pro 14 because I don't think there's any doubt about it until they're absolutely safe but they feel they're absolutely safe in the Pro 14, which they won't be because they're going uh, hammer and tongs with Leinster. I don't think they'll be experimenting with anything. They Dan McFarland wants to finish top of Conference A. He wants a final. He doesn't want to peddle about with seeing how people are and can, can this person fit in. That's where the Rainbow Cup when it comes, okay, I think Pro 14, you go all out. You fire all your guns. You have to do that. You have one shot at it. One shot, finishing com- top of conference and getting to the final. And realistically, that is the most re- that is the most logical shot you are going to get at Silverware because I can't see them being able to do that in the Rainbow Cup. Mm. Well, just we'll, we'll discuss the, the actual performance first. 
the difference, Adam, that, that Michael uh, alludes to there between the first half and the second half, obviously it was during that spell when they were down to 14 men that they shipped oh, 14 points. But what what was the difference? What changed in the second half? What clicked? They had the wind at their backs, which really helped. Um, you saw Connacht, every time they tried to get out of their 22, the ball was just being blown straight back at them. And eventually they just resorted to having to run it out of their own 22 at every opportunity. And I find it so good that a week after we criticised them so strongly for how they misplayed the final few minutes of the Gloucester game, Ulster did everything right in how they closed out that game in Galway because... They just didn't give away too many penalties. They had a bit of indiscipline that would maybe need touched up. But for the most part, they just made their tackles. They saw their opportunities. They got their turnovers and Ian Madigan kicked their points. I I think just in in the second half, they just got their hands on the ball a bit more. I think that's all they needed to do. In, In the first half, anytime they tried something, it just didn't come off. They barely went through any phases. Um, but in the second half, they finally got their hands on the ball. They just did the basics right. And I think that, w- that was the biggest thing. You look at uh, Timoney's try, which is a nice pass inside, a nice offload back inside to Timoney from Jones. And Timoney shows some great strength to go through. I, th- I think it's John Porch who was defending at 15 at that point. So I-, I don't think Ulster necessarily changed too much. It was just they started playing in the right areas of the pitch. Like they were dominated in that first half. I think it was 80-20 in territory to Connacht. Like it was so one-sided that Ulster just didn't have a chance to get anything going. And then once they got into the red zone in the second half, they started putting points on the board. But it, it really helped that they were in it at halftime. You know, if Madigan wasn't putting those kicks over and they were, say, 14 points down at the break, then I, I think Connacht probably could have seen it out a bit better in the, in the second half but the fact that Madigan landed the kicks the fact they were only five down at the break they were able to come out in the second half and say we're still in this we just need to turn it around with the wind and they they managed to do it and I think that was probably one of the most professional second halves that I've seen Ulster play not necessarily the best in terms of quality because uh, there were still a few mistakes that they had there but I think from a game plan perspective, I think they went out and executed that second half fantastically well. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's uh, a disgrace, really, that we've gone this long without really talking about Ian Madigan. Uh, I'm glad you brought him up finally, Adam, where I would have been getting pelters for it. Michael, he described it as his greatest kicking performance of his career on such a, a windy night. Just just how good was, I mean, he, he scored what, or he slotted eight of his nine kicks at goal. Christopher Toulas, who should be the starting 10 now, Burns or Madigan, considering that a few weeks ago we were talking about Billy Burns as Ireland's backup. Uh, the fact that the question's even being asked probably um, tells you the, the levels of the performance, but how good was it for you? And is it enough to, to create that question yet? Um, no, it was a really, really, really efficient performance. Um but it's not enough for me. Um, what he did was he slotted his kicks, which was absolutely tremendous. It was a superb individual performance of kicking from the tee. But they will need Billy Burns to run the game and game manage in situations where you know the weather doesn't necessarily perhaps interfere as much as it did. The, the, the conditions were horrendous. Billy Burns is also on Ireland's radar, and Ian Madigan really just isn't. 
Um, so I think uh, Burns will be still the preferred choice. He's got just that little bit more, little bit extra in the way he mixes his game and manages his game. Um, and I, 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 I think Madigan has definitely, you know, put it to them that you know he, he can, he can, he can knock kicks over. He did it against Edinburgh, as we know as well. I'm not sure that that's going to be quite enough uh, for him to start in front of Burns on a regular basis. I'd be very surprised. Was to be honest. And Adam, he was very open and honest after the game about his uh, his Ireland ambitions. In fact, we'll maybe play a little bit of just what he had to say about that uh, after the game. Yeah, certainly. I think every player who's eligible for Ireland and, and playing for the provincial setup, you know, their their number one goal has to be playing the green jersey because otherwise you're not going to be competitive at your own province if that isn't your goal. Um, you know, there's <clears throat> I knew that it. You know, time was ticking and it, I had to come back. If I wanted to play for Ireland again, um, you know, it's going to have to be sooner rather than later. Obviously, there's challenges. You know, Bill, Bill's, Billy's going really well. He's, he's, a, he's a quality player. And, you know, there's plenty of other good out halves um, in Ireland. But, you know, for me, when I get my opportunities, I just want to go out there and enjoy it and do my best. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to shirk away from my goals. I want to play for Ireland. I want to put my hand up. Um, but you know, I suppose there's a lot of work that's got to go in to, to make that happen. Um, you know, I'm working hard every day, and if if the call comes, great. But if it doesn't, at least I know I'll have been true to myself and I've worked really hard to to do my best to try and get in. Uh, I, I presume Andy has had chats with you. Like, I mean, has that kind of been the message? Like, you know, basically keep on working and keep on improving, and all factors you play. Yeah, certainly. You know, he gave me a nice confidence boost at the start of the season when you know he, he name checked me in the in the media, and that was you know much appreciated. It was always nice to be uh, name checked like that by the national coach. You know, and you're, you've been away for a couple of years, and yeah, obviously, you know, keeping keeping a very close eye and talking to the Ulster guys who are involved in the, in the Irish setup, and you know, talking about game plans, you know, how we're defending, how Ireland are, are attacking, and I suppose keeping in touch that way and. Um, I think off the back of the Scotland game, you know, it was, it was a really good performance. I think, you know, the national team will go into the Six Nations, um, you know, full of confidence, you know, going to, to Wales would be a challenging game, but um, <clears throat> the, all, the, all the Irish provinces going well, there's no reason why we can't think that, you know, it could be a successful Six Nations for us. So Adam, he, he's open about the fact he wants to play for Ireland again, hasn't done so since, what was 2015 in the World Cup? Is that his, his last game for Ireland? Um mm-hmm. Any chance that uh, that dream might turn into reality for him? Like he's got to be playing the big games for Ulster first. You know, you, you can't call him up if he's not starting in the Champions Cup for Ulster, and at the moment that's still Billy Burns. So, I I would say he's still got a bit to go before he's getting on Ireland's radar. And I think you know, like I I completely agree with Michael. His kicking was sensational on Sunday night, but. He, he really didn't do much with ball in hand and that's because the conditions didn't allow him to do anything with ball in hand. You know, I, I don't I don't think the wingers touched the ball on Sunday night just because it was that kind of a game. So you can't you can't judge the backs on that game at all. You can only judge Madigan on, on his kicking and from that perspective, he did everything right. Look, he, he offers so much to the squad, both in terms of, again, similar to what I was saying about Carter, he's, he's a great leader, he's great at bringing on the other 10s in the squad, and he's great at imparting knowledge, but from, from a playing perspective, 
I, I really think he's he's got to be the definite number one choice for Ulster before you can even start thinking about him getting called up to Ireland. And right now he's not there yet, so there's still still a long way for him to go first. Mm-hmm. Michael Kyle McCall, and I'm loath to sort of talk about players when they haven't had a great game, but Adam tweeted before the game that it was a first start for Ulster since January 2019. Given the way it went, he hasn't done himself huge favours for getting another one anytime soon, particularly given that he never returned after he was sin bin. That wasn't exactly a vote of confidence from Dan McFarland. Uh, No, it wasn't. Um, No, he hadn't started for an extremely long time and he was struggling very much against Finlay Bielham. There were other issues too. The referee kept talking as well and mentioning number three, which was Tom O'Toole. But um, essentially, once uh, Kyle had done his bin, and with Andy Warwick staying on, that that wasn't really a problem again. And anyway, come to think of it, I think that was Connick's big moment. Um, they didn't get a penalty try from that, though. I think they did score a try. But uh, once Kyle was gone, that that scrum dominance wasn't necessarily there anymore. And then when O'Toole went off, Marty Moore came on to further steady the ship. Um, so in actual fact, yeah, it, it doesn't, it, and unfortunately it doesn't look great for Kyle that he, he didn't come back after 10 minutes, but I think Dan McFarland realised that it was too big an ask for him and uh, it, it, it wasn't really in his or the team's interest to have him back in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another name that Adam would have been very familiar with, uh, just in terms of coming up through the academy and from Ireland under 18, under underage teams was Ben Moxham, who got his debut 17 minutes at the end of the game. A proud night for him for, and for Lauren High School, uh, not exactly known for producing also rugby players, but a massive night for their school and other schools like that who are outside of those traditional heartlands. And of course, for, uh, for Ben himself. Yeah, we've seen, we've seen guys like, you know, Robert Balakoon coming through from uh, Enniskillen or Petora. I can't remember what it was whenever he was playing there. And, um, you know, there are guys who are very talented players who come from, you know, sort of these non-rugby heartlands, you know, that don't come through the Belfast schools or through, say, Ballymena or uh, places like that. So it was, it was great to see someone like Ben coming through. And I, I know he's very highly rated both uh, within the Ulster setup. He, he's in their sub-academy and he was playing Ireland under-20s last year. So the guy, the guy is very well thought of. And it was great to see him get on, didn't put a foot wrong. Again, you know, it wasn't a night for backs with ball in hand, but he came on, he, he was put on the wing, I believe. And Ulster did a bit of reshuffling in the back line, but you know, no missed tackles, no horrendous errors or anything like that. No, no errors at all. So, you know, he, he basically came on, he slotted in seamlessly. And that's that's really what you want to do whenever you're making your debut. You don't necessarily have to stand out, but you don't want to stand out for the wrong reasons. And he just came in, did his job, got the first cap, and now you can hope to push on. I mean, there are a lot of talented guys in that, in that back line. He's just added to that. So... Uh, great to see him come on and the fact that he offers you know something from center and wing he can play both and I know he's equally adept at both so again there's that versatility you know someone that you can bring in someone that now Dan McFarland knows what he is he's a known quantity now within the Ulster setup so there you're just adding to the backline options that you've got alongside the likes of McElroy, Sexton, uh, Murr, 
so many guys that you can now call on. It's another exciting addition to that backline. Absolutely. So, Michael, that's an indication, and you had spoken about it earlier, of the rotation in Ulster's squad. Comic, meanwhile, had five Ireland internationals in the team that ended up uh, beaten by this Ulster team. Stuart Martin says that it seems that Dan McFarland is increasingly using squad rotation rather than flogging our best players every week. Do the statistics support that view, and what benefits is this squad rotation bringing? Sunday's win with a much depleted side springs to mind. Um, that's the, the beauty of this time of year, I suppose, in terms of bringing these players through, Michael. And this uh, strategy of uh, of Dan McFarland's is burn fruit with all those young guys that we're seeing. Well, it certainly is, yeah. In the Pro 14, what are they nine from nine now? Um, I think that if you ever want to be a credible player at at the very very top level of of the league, then you, you just simply have to have a, a squad that you can trust and rely on to rotate when uh, the need is required. Leinster can do it, but then Leinster, of course, the, the benchmark that we know of uh, have been for so long. But you've got to do this, and he has shown, he's definitely shown a willingness to do this. Um, and it's the only realistic thing that he can do under the circumstances, because if you throw all your eggs into one basket, that means that when you do have to go and, and bring these guys in, they're not, they haven't been blooded properly, and they're really, really going to struggle, um, as in what you perhaps saw with Kyle, who hadn't played in so long for various reasons, <clears throat> and, and, and people like that. that. That's not the way to go about challenging for championships, which is what this game is all about. Um, and McFarland has to be given credit for, uh, for doing this and doing this so well. Mm-hmm. So, Adam, we've talked about it a, a little bit over the course of the podcast so far, but the Pro 14 is changing for this season. It's We had said last week, well, I had said, and it took pelters for it in social media, probably fair enough, that it was going to be a boring rest of the season because Ulster were guaranteed to finish second and they weren't going to catch Leinster. Now they're going to have to catch Leinster if they want to make it beyond the pool stage. Is there, well, they're currently, they currently do lead Leinster by what is six or seven points, seven points maybe, but seven points. Leinster two games in hand. So, is there any chance of Ulster finishing ahead? Obviously, Leinster have all this complication now with the, the two positive tests being returned today, and they reckon their game against Connacht is going to go ahead this weekend. But is there any chance uh, that, that Ulster will finish ahead of them? There is. I mean, at, at this stage, we're sitting here with Ulster unbeaten. Okay, if Leinster win their two games in hand, they could go as many as three points ahead of Ulster. But you've got two meetings with Leinster still to come, one of which is at Kingspan Stadium. We don't know when yet because they still have to release the second half of the fixtures. But Ulster are very much in this. And you're looking at a, at a perspective where you only need Leinster to slip up once, which could be against Ulster, you know, if, if Ulster could somehow go down to the RDS and win, as unlikely as that sounds, you know, you only need Leinster to step up once and Ulster to keep this unbeaten run going. And you're looking at Ulster being right there in the mix come the end of the season. So, look, I'm, I'm not going to try and say that it's going to be easy. You know, Leinster are Leinster. And the record against Ulster in Dublin is phenomenal. So uh, you very much expect that it will be Leinster winning well next week. But if you look at the rest of the season and just the way, you know, Leinster have a few games to add in because of cancellations. So you've got a bit of a backlog. Again, 
it only takes one team to get them to slip up and if Ulster can keep their momentum going then you know that the Leinster game is going to be round about the end of the season that it could come down to a one game shootout in Belfast against Leinster to decide who goes to the final now look this this has worked out badly for Ulster you know in an ordinary season they would be cruising to second they would have a home quarter final and you know that that would be they would be looking to hopefully push up into first and this is meant that it's first or nothing and Dan McFarlane is probably cursing his luck because he was probably very happy with how things were going up to this point but it just it just puts a bit more of a focus on look we've got two games against Leinster and probably it's going to come down to who does better in those two games those two head-to-heads who will finish first so it just makes next week's game a lot bigger than what it was originally uh but also Ulster have to stay positive you know if if they start to think oh well that that's our chance is gone then their chances will be gone if they go into this thinking yeah you know what let's give it a lash and see what happens you never know what might happen but it, it certainly does put Leinster in the box seat let's put it that way Michael Kino asks uh, will Ulster send a, a full strength team down to Dublin unlike previous seasons I think we can take that as red at this stage the way things are progressing but it certainly does make those two head-to-heads mouth-watering to, to say the least now doesn't it absolutely yeah I think I think they will and for the first time probably in a very very long time there's you know you, you can't just dismiss uh, their, their chances of finally doing something um in the RDS, after what one win, well, it'd be you know since the turn of the century, really, so far. Um, so, um, yeah, I think they'll go as strong as hard as they can. Uh, they don't necessarily what you know have that many games left after this. They'll have six games left after they play Leinster in Dublin um, before we go straight to the final. So, as I said earlier, you you go at this full metal jacket because this is your chance and it is it's it's extremely unfortunate for Dan McFarland and Ulster that this idea has come about <clears throat> at this time to severely curtail their season completely change their structure in the middle of their season and to in essence almost yes yeah, cynically set up this rainbow cup as a means of preparing the South African sides for the hoped for Lions tour which in itself is a huge commercial money spinner and is vitally important for the game. So it is just so unfortunate that this is what's happened here. Um, it devalues the Pro 14 this year, I'm afraid. There's no no getting around it. It really does. Um, but again, you know, uh, commercial considerations have come to the fore here. If they can get this Lions tour off the ground this uh, summer, there's so much money to be made in an environment with so little that uh, that's worth the candle as far as certain people are, are concerned in order to severely diminish uh, the Pro 14 season. Well, let's let's hope, fingers crossed, come the end of the season, Ulster have the, the Pro 14 trophy sitting in front of them and they're not worried about how, how devalued the end of the season was. So this weekend, uh, of course, Munster visit Kingspan Stadium on Saturday, uh, kick off for that one at quarter past five. So if Ulster are going to go full strength in Dublin uh, the week after... What can we expect team-wise this weekend, Adam? I'd say they're probably going to go full strength this week as well. You want to put out your full full team at home and under the player management scheme 
Ulster will probably have their internationals back for their home games. So um, I would say you'll probably see something close to full strength and you'll maybe have the guys you know, who, who started last week. There'll be a bit of rotation between uh, a few of them as well. So, But they're now in a position where you've got a big away win in the Interpros. You want to back that up with a home win. So I don't think there'll be any room for uh, or any wiggle room this week, they'll be wanting to go full metal jacket and put another four points on the board, especially if Munster might come up north without a few of their internationals. You'll uh, you'll be sensing blood in the water and they'll be wanting to strike and put another four points on the board. The thing is, now that they're ahead of Leinster, you know, even though Leinster have games in hand, they also have the points on the board. If you can keep racking up wins and you can keep putting points on, it keeps putting on pressure on Leinster to make sure that they get those wins. So you got to keep Put it, piling up the points and making sure that they're playing catch up rather than letting them catch back up with you before they have to make up their games. Michael, if you were a betting man, uh, given what we know about the Adam says or what we think we know about what the teams are going to look like, bonus point win for Ulster? Um, I don't know if it'll be a bonus point win. It's certainly some, they'll, they'll certainly they would take that. I'm not sure. I don't think Munster will necessarily come up fully loaded. They're already, I think, about 12 ahead of Connacht and uh, the Scarlets, uh, so they can afford to, you know, juggle their resources a bit. And, of course, that's worth bearing in mind that Ulster are going to have to do this as well with their international players. So um, they will they will pick strongly or as strongly as they can under the circumstances. Um, I think they'll win it. I'm not sure they'll get a bonus point, though. Munster have been an extremely hard side to beat this year. In fact, they haven't lost any games at all, though they've had two postponements. So they're not... Uh, they're not a side who are going to roll over and uh, let Ulster take their tummies. I think they're going to put it up to them, whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll be able to follow that game as always on Adam's live blog on Belfast Telegraph website. And we'll have all the, the preview and the push-match reaction online and in Belfast Telegraph and as well uh, in the Sunday Life. But until then, we'll be back next week with another podcast, of course. But until then, from uh, Michael Sadler. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Bye thank, now. Thank you, Adam. Happy New Year to everyone. Adam McAndrew, that is. Uh, I didn't introduce you very well there. Apologies, Adam. <laughs> Look, it's Christmas. We're, we're not in our... Well, I'm not in my game. It's fine. Too many men's guys. And myself, Gareth Adam, thanks for listening.